Welcome to the Building PA Podcast, the voice of the construction industry throughout Pennsylvania. Here are your co-hosts, Chris Martin and John O'Brien. Hello, and welcome to the Building PA Podcast. I am co-host John O'Brien from the Keystone Contractors Association, coming to you from the Quandle Studio right here in central Pennsylvania. Joined, as always, by fellow co-host Chris Martin. Chris, hello today. How are we doing? Hey, John. I'm doing well. I'm doing really well, and I am uh, glad to be here on the on the Building PA podcast, and, and I am coming at you from the Sewickley office of Atlas Marketing, and uh, we tell stories for people who build things, and you can check our story out at atlasstories.com, and I know the story today is quite simple, leadership. Absolutely. We have international famous speaker, author, all those fun things that come along with it. John, who are we talking to? Today, we're talking to a, a friend of NUCA PA and KCA, uh, an individual who delivered some leadership training, and everyone loved it. Everyone raved about it. And some people said, why don't you have him on the podcast? And today's the day. Here it is. Joining us today. Yes, joining us today, we have Major General John Gronsky, U.S. Army retired. How are we doing today, John? Hey, John and Chris, I'm I'm doing great. Really happy to be joining you today. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you not only for your service, but for being with us here today. Yeah. And today we're talking about one of your favorite topics and one of our favorite topics, that's leadership. And as I mentioned, you uh, delivered three awesome sessions last fall for uh, NUCA and KCA. I think my favorite was the Cultivating Trust, but uh, it, it was all great stuff, you know, and just wanted to thank you personally on the podcast and kind of talk further on the topic with you. So thanks for joining us. John, really was great to work with with you and, and the other folks there. And, you know, I grew up in a blue collar family. You know, my father had a used car lot and a garage and a towing service. And I was 16, 17 years old driving a tow truck, you know. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all about, you know, people out there trying to make make life better, building things, uh, just trying to make uh, life better for the community as a whole. Awesome. I thought it was great the way that you are able to work in your life, work in your training in the Army, and just work in real life experiences for people to understand and get the crowd talking that way. Because it can be tough, especially we did it virtually. It can be tough to get people talking. But when they hear your story, it's a good story. And when they hear about your training, it's awesome. I like the uh, biking across the country. If you want to share that one, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, the the first four years that I spent in the Army, that was 78 to 82. And uh, I actually left the Army for a short time up at Fort Lewis, Washington in the you know, state of Washington. And then my wife, Bertie, and I lived in Tacoma, Washington for a short time. And we had our, our young son, Stephen. And in 1983, early 1983, we made it a, a life decision to move from Washington State back to northeastern Pennsylvania. And I suggested to my wife that we fulfill a long-term dream of mine by bicycling from <laughs> from Washington State to Pennsylvania. So uh, believe it or not, she said, hey, let's try it. So uh, my wife and I, with our 15-month-old son, Stephen, bicycled you know, pedal bikes, all self-supported. We had a two-man backpacking tent, two sleeping bags, a little 
one burner, you know, Coleman backpacking stove. And we spent three months uh, traveling over 4,500 miles with the circuitous route we took. And uh, it was just a fantastic uh, journey over the summer of 1983, starting in May, getting back to Pennsylvania in, in August. I wrote a book about it in, in 2019. You know, I kept a journal on that trip. And and that journal sat in a shoebox for over 35 years. Wow. And then when I retired from the Army in 2019, after over 40 years of service, I decided to uh, write a book about that journey. The book is called The Ride of Our Lives. You know, people could find it on Amazon or, or you know, they could go to my website and, and purchase a copy. And uh, just a book about that journey. It's called The Ride of Our Lives, Lessons on life, leadership, and love. Having just heard this, because <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I have not heard this before. I am extremely impressed that you have love in the title, because I can only imagine <laughs> how your wife with a 15-month-old son traveling across on a bike. Uh, I mean, that's that's true love right there. Yes. <laughs> yes. That That's either going to, you know, we've been married over 41 years now, so... A trip like that is either going to, you know, make the marriage or break the marriage. So it, apparently it made the marriage. It bonded that well to something fierce, I would imagine. Yeah. So from a leadership perspective, because that's what we're talking about today, what did you gain from that experience and, and how did you apply it? I mean, admittedly, this was in, in the, in the uh, 80s, but how did you apply that from that moment forward? Yeah. So, so again, it was in the eighties, you know, analog world back then, not, not a digital world like we live in today. No GPS, at least none that one could afford. No smartphones, no internet, all that stuff. But anyway, you know, one of the leadership lessons I learned is, you know, you have to have the courage to make decisions. And I'm talking about the decisions we made during that three month journey across the United States. And the other thing I learned is, you know, and this happens in life all the time. You could use a metaphor of, of a crossroad. And many times throughout our life, we come to a crossroad and we have to decide, do we go east, west, north, south? Which way do we go with the crossroad? And one thing I found is really, once you make that decision, you got to go in with a, a an all-in attitude. You have to go in uh, with optimism. And I think whatever decision we ultimately make at those crossroads that we come upon in life is never the bad decision. You know, we, we always have to believe it's the right decision. You have to be prepared to pivot. You know, as more information comes available, you might have to adjust your course a little bit. But, but at the end of the day, I found that a, when we had to make those type of decisions, it was never the wrong decision as long as we went into it with the, with the right attitude and with the awareness that, hey, we may have to pivot a little bit as we continue on that journey. I don't know if you saw, as we're, I know we're, we're in an audio thing here, but I literally wrote that down on a post-it note. Have the courage to make a decision. And I have it on my computer here. That is a really, really great takeaway from that. Not only from the perspective of having, because a lot of the times that decision, especially in business, is I don't want to make this. It's you know an emotional decision or a, a dollar decision. But I really liked what you added to it. Have the ability to make that pivot as well. I mean, that's just, that's fantastic life advice. So thank you for that. Yeah, you know, Chris, while we're talking about decisions, another important thing I think we have to think about when we make decisions is, you know, I, I know many of the people who lead companies that listen to your podcast, 
you know, probably have organizational values. And and I'm also a big believer that people not only have to adhere to the organizational values of the company they work for, but they have to be introspective enough to think about what is their personal core values. And the point of those values is when we make decisions, when we make business decisions, we should be, fact, you know, business leaders, the senior management team at a business should be factoring in those organizational values to the decisions they make. And I'm not sure how many senior leadership teams really think about, hey, what are our organizational values and are we factoring those organizational values into our business decisions? And then on the other hand, for individuals, if we have our personal core values, we should be factoring those personal core values into the personal decisions we make. And for those of uh, of our listeners who don't have personal core values and never really thought long and hard about what are their own personal core values, it's something they may want to consider doing because if you're if you should be factoring decisions and or if you should be factoring values into your decisions, if you don't have those values identified, how are you going to be able to do that? So I think that's a really important aspect of making decisions. Yeah, that, that's good. That's a great addition. Yeah, yeah, we spent. Part of the one session talking about that a lot, and that was, uh, I th- I think, very powerful. It was it was really good, and you were able to pull pull people and get them to talk about it. And it was good hearing people open up. And uh, but if you don't mind, can we switch gears slightly a little bit? You have a storied army career, and you're a well respected leadership training. Are there any experiences? I know you could probably talk for hours and hours of army experiences, but are there any maybe one or two you'd like to share about that helped develop the person that you are today? Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it all started uh, back in the 80s, mid 80s or so when I uh, commanded a, an infantry company of around 140 soldiers. And, and I remember reading in a leadership book prior to me taking the lead in that particular organization that an organization will take on the personality of a leader. And I thought to myself, oh, how could that be? You know, how how could this organization of 140 people take on my personality, you know, I'm not that powerful. And I found out that's exactly the case. And, and what I mean by that is if you are a sloppy leader taking the lead of an organization that uh, generally is, uh, you know, a well-oiled machine, that well-oiled machine will turn into a sloppy machine if you're a sloppy leader. And if you're a, you know, really high polished, squared away, effective, efficient leader, and you take the lead of an organization that is struggling in terms of efficiency and effectiveness, that organization will eventually turn around to be an effective and efficient organization. So an organization will absolutely take on the personality of, of, of a leader. And I learned that at a, at a relatively young age, at a, a very formative uh, period in my leadership career. And, and I could go on, I could go on with a few other things. I mean, uh, you know, I, I had an opportunity back in the year 2000, you know, about 22 years ago, I was assigned to go to the country of Lithuania, uh, which Lithuania has been in the news lately because of the war in Ukraine. Uh, Lithuania, Baltic country, borders Poland, borders Belarus. I went there only seven years after the Lithuanians regained their independence from the Soviet Union. And uh, they, the Lithuanians wanted to align themselves with the West. They wanted to align themselves with the United States. And I was there to help the Lithuanian military learn how the United States 
military conducted business. And, and that was just a interesting period of time where I really learned a lot about the importance of cultivating trust and, and how important trust was. I, I led a very small team. There were only three other American military personnel on my team there. And, and I learned that whether you're leading 850 soldiers, uh, like the unit I had just left, or whether you're leading three people, uh, it doesn't matter if you're leading a, a thousand or leading four, leadership challenges are there and leaders uh, have to show integrity, display integrity, display modesty, uh, humility, and all of those things in order to cultivate trust in an organization. So whether it be four or 4,000 or anything in between, just, just being a character-based servant leader is extremely important. Good advice. Do you find, you know, in your work now as a, as a retired Army Major General, I wanted to make sure I said that right, <laughs> with, working with business leaders, are is there a big difference between your military experience and then working with business leaders today? Oh, there, there, there's a true connection. As a matter of fact, I was doing a leadership presentation about a month ago uh, in, in the Philadelphia area, and um, one of the business leaders there spoke up and he said, you know, hey, I, I know in the military, you, you, all you have to do is give an order and everybody's going to carry it out. <laughs> and I said, hold on. I said, let, let me dispel a rumor here. I said, even in the military, you've got to get the people you lead to buy in. You know, I mean, if, if you're in a firefight, you know, when you give an order, yeah, I mean, absolutely then, you know, people have to follow that order. And, Different and scenario. Right, right, but, yeah. but I mean, just generally, you know, general steady state operations, leader in the military, leader in business, leader in law enforcement, you know, you have to get buy-in from the people you're leading. And the way the way you get that buy-in is, is you've got to create a, a shared vision with those you lead. A vision of, hey, this is the objective that we have to attain. This is the, and then you have to have an action plan. You know, this is the path we're going to take in order to get to that objective. And and uh, that, that shared vision and shared purpose, you know, where, where people in the organization understand that the work they're doing is bigger than just themselves. And, and they have to have a sense that uh, their, their sense of purpose has to be Something that they're doing for the, I believe, you know, for the good of society, like I said, for something larger than themselves. And with a lot of uh, the folks that listen to your your podcast here, many of them in the, um, you know, construction uh, industry and that type of thing, building, building Pennsylvania, building a better Pennsylvania, you know, that that type of thing. I think that's a pretty powerful vision and a pretty powerful purpose to have where you're building things for for people to make life better. And, yeah. and I, I, I think it's important that a leader, whether it be military, business, or whatever the case, is able to create that vision and also communicate that vision and purpose to those you lead and get everybody to buy into that because you do have a believable plan that you're laying out there for, for the folks as well. Yeah, good stuff. And then kind of uh, expanding on Chris's question, staying in the, the business leader um, realm. In our industry, construction, it's kind of generational and you'll see, you know, the father retire, the son or daughter move up to president. What what are some common pitfalls you, you, you see during that transition period? Yeah, you know, that is a great question. Be a great question, because again, 
the family business I grew up in went through those same type of transitions. Uh, I think the leader has to spend the time. I, I think many many leaders of a family business ultimately don't want to retire. <laughs> you know, they they like to <laughs> stay with it. And uh, you know, it's important to be realistic and and uh, realize that you have to come up with a transition plan. And it's a transition plan that you have to get the entire. If it's a family-owned business, you have to get that whole you know family unit involved in. Uh, discussing the transition plan. And I think the pitfalls that most family-owned businesses fall into is when they don't have those mature discussions about about the transition plan and, and about what the, what the future is going to look like. So I would highly encourage, uh, it's a difficult conversation, but I would hi- highly encourage those leadership teams from those family-owned businesses to have those those type of difficult conversations because it's it's necessary. Because if you don't have those conversations, the future is going to move on and uh, the future is going to happen whether you want it to or not. And it's better to have, have a plan uh, in place for that. It's funny that you've mentioned transition and succession. We've had other episodes in the past on the Building Pay podcast talking about both of those topics. But what I like about your perspective is the leadership component of those aspects. And so, so my question for you is how does having a, having a direct plan, a succinct plan impact the leadership and the communication that comes with leadership through that? Yeah. You know, there's two things to keep in mind. You know, you have, you have the strategy, which is the overarching vision. And then you've, you've got, you know, the operational or the tactical piece to that. And, and I think the, the business really has to be very d- deliberate and focused on, on that strategy, you know, because the strategy probably isn't going to change that much. But in terms of the operational piece or, or the, the tactical piece, you've got to be ready to, to adjust, you know, with, with the operations and the tactics. For a few different reasons. First of all, with that succession plan, you know, new leaders taking charge, they may have a, a different tactical mindset by way of doing things. And then, of course, you know, technology changes, the markets may change, you know, those type of things. So, again, you have to be ready to to be deliberate and very, very, you know, steady on what the strategy is but be more liberal and being able to adjust more on the operations or the tactics. Uh, Chris, I'm not sure if that answered your question, but I found that to be very important. No, it's good. And, and I like what you said there, the, the very last part there, being liberal on your ability to focus on the operational or tactics side, because you're right. You know, if you have a clear path of what the objective is, there's 17 million ways to get to that point. And, and I think that's one of the things that our listeners could really uh, kind of get their head around is, is having that ability to be very, very flexible, as you said, liberal in your, in your operations and tactics. That's, that's a really important key factor there, I think. Could, could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Well, Chris, I was going to say another key piece of this is the key leaders really have to create an environment where you know, subordinate leaders and, and others in the organization feel empowered to demonstrate initiative and feel empowered to make decisions at, at their level. 
and 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 I I, I personally believe when when I took over an organization with fifteen thousand people in it, uh, one of the things I put in writing was the splaying initiative was worth the risk of making honest mistakes. And I think if we look back at the last two and a half, three years, you know, with this whole pandemic, where you know, I mean, talk about something we didn't expect or really. You know, the last time we had a pandemic like this was like 1918. So there wasn't a lot of recent history or experiences to to go on. So, you know, people were really, you know, thrown uh, a, a curveball here, uh, to put it mildly. I think the organizations that had set conditions that allowed subordinate leaders and others in the organization to feel empowered to display initiative, demonstrate initiative, and and, and make decisions at their level were the ones who succeeded because we went from a, you know, everybody working together to now a lot of people working distributed. And, and uh, it was those organizations that had created that environment of initiative prior to the pandemic that I think had the most success as they maneuvered through the pandemic. The organizations that were, you know, the leaders had big egos, thinking they were the only ones who could make decisions. They didn't want to empower other people to make decisions or demonstrate initiative. I think those are the ones who faltered because people aren't going to all of a sudden display initiative just because the environment is, is creating that type of necessity. Uh, if, if they haven't been used to doing that, they're, they're going to be hesitant. They're going to, they're going to falter. And that's where I think some of the businesses that, that didn't create that environment of initiative really didn't do too well. And some of them may be very well out of business. Yeah. So the leader, you know, sets the tone with their character and values and they empower others to kind of take charge, make decisions. What about for the people under the leader? What advice or what what uh, what are your thoughts on resolving conflict, conflict resolution? And how can a leader help direct that through through his actions? John, one more point I want to make on this whole notion of initiative, yeah. though, is, okay. is you know, it's, it's all based on the experience level of the folks you've got working for you. I mean, if, if, if it's somebody relatively new, maybe without a lot of experience in that line of work or, or life experience, you're still going to want them to demonstrate initiative, but you're going to kind of narrow the left limit and the right limit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and yeah. then as you work with people and, and, you have somebody who's maybe 15 years in the organization, they understand, they've proven themselves to have good, solid results. You're probably going to want to widen the left limit and the right limit. So when I say allow people to demonstrate initiative, empower people to make decisions, that does not go without limits. For people in, in, in the organization, you know, who are dealing with, you know, you mentioned conflict resolution. I think the big thing there is... Um, you know, bad news does not get better with age, you know, or or bad behavior does not get better with age. You know, if you're a first-line supervisor and you've got some folks that, or a person who's, who's not meeting the standard, you have to have that difficult conversation with those people, and, and the sooner the better. And, and I think the best way to handle those type of things is just not assume the worst. You know, especially if it's somebody who's had a decent track record and all of a sudden, you know, their performance is faltering or they're just not meeting the standards any longer. I think the first question you ask a person like that is, 
is everything okay? You know, there could be something going on in their personal life, you know, maybe with elderly parents who they're, you know, they're struggling with to try to help, help, help their elderly parents, or maybe it's a, a teenager at home uh, that they might be having an issue with or, or anything else. You know, you have to find out, hey, what's going on in your life? You know, what, why, why do you seem to be struggling here? And then sometimes it's a training issue. You know, somebody, sometimes people just need a little bit more training in a, in a particular area. So I never assume the worst when, when somebody's performance is faltering, but I try to have that difficult conversation early on because the longer you wait, the harder it is to have that conversation. And, and the more that person might be set in their ways in terms of that behavior that's not necessarily the correct behavior that's going to help the organization be effective. So it takes personal courage to do that. And, and, I, and I think um, one of the ways to develop that personal courage is to look for a mentor who could perhaps help you a little bit, uh, finding the right words to have those type of conversations. Sometimes before you go into a, uh, a difficult conversation, actually rehearse the conversation you're going to have with a difficult employee the day before with somebody else. And, and, you know, actually go through a rehearsal with somebody you trust. And, and, you know, those are little techniques that will help you have those conversations that will keep everybody on the right path. And remember, you know, if, if there's an employee that's not meeting the standard, they probably know they're not meeting the standard. They're probably expecting their supervisor to have a conversation with them. And when the supervisor doesn't have the personal courage to have those type of difficult conversations, I think they actually lose a lot of respect from the employees who are really expecting that conversation to occur. So, uh, you know, just 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 a couple of things to keep in mind there. Well said. Chris, did I tell you or what? You wanted to talk leadership on an episode and I said, I know the great guy, I know the perfect oh, guy. I, I, this is fair. I, I could talk all day, to be honest with you, because this is like, yeah, this is just yeah. fascinating to me. Like, it's great. And if you don't feel like talking, you could always get his other book. The Iron Sharpened Leadership, which I'm holding up, which our audience cannot see, but we'll make sure to email it out. Whenever we hosted the training last year, we sent all the attendees a book. So maybe for Christmas, Chris and Tracy might get a little little something from Santa here. <laughs> Santa O'Brien, that is, right? John, John and Chris, the other thing I want to say is, you know, putting forth some suggestions here. And, and anything that I suggest is based on mistakes I've made in my career. Uh, and, and I've always learned more from mistakes I've made than from things I've done correctly on, by accident. So in, in the same with that book, Iron Sharpened Leadership, a lot of it is based on mis leadership mistakes I've made that I've thankfully been able to learn from and just wanted to impart some of those lessons in the book. John, I really like your humility and, and the aspect of what you just said, because that is that's a true leader right there. Learn from me. I'm going to help you get through it. And, you know, I, I think you just summed up everything about you in that brief section right there. <laughs> so thank you for that. I, I can't thank you enough for joining us on the Building PA podcast. And I know we're going to be asking you to come back again because there's so many things that I have in my notes that I want to pick your brain on and share with everybody else, too. So I can't thank you enough for joining us. This has been a fantastic discussion today. Thank you. No, Chris, I appreciate that. And, and uh, John and Chris, I appreciate your time. I appreciate Tracy, who's in the background, yep. who lined everything up here. And we and do too. Really too. A, ple a pleasure <laughs> to be with you all today. You bet. And on the training side, we're going to take a year off and talk to you for next year. So we'll bring you back next year, hopefully in person. So 
<laughs> awesome. Thank you for joining the Building PA Podcast. To stay up to date, follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook and visit buildingpapodcast.com to subscribe to upcoming shows. Thanks for listening.